0: Mr. President, your call is connected.
1: Uh, Mr. Prime Minister. Yes, hello, Mr. President. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. And those Tiger Woods? I don't know. Mm. Uh, Look, I know it's been a little while. Uh, We've got our plan together. Ah,
2: the whole uh, Salahi mess. Yes, bloody crazy people uh, sneaking into a party.
1: No, on on Afghanistan.
2: Ah, yes, of course, yes. yes.
1: 30,000 more troops starting in the new year. Uh, Right away, undertaking an intense counter-insurgency mission. Oh, yes, sounds uh, jolly good. Yes, tally-ho. Wonder, of course, uh, what you'll be able to do uh, part of the,
2: the coalition. Ah, uh, big coalition, yes. Uh, 30,000, you say? Yep. Well, let's see. Uh, I think perhaps uh, 500. 500? Yes, I think we've got uh, 500. somewhere well, yeah, you've got them. Because you took them out of a rack. Uh, that's it? Well, no, of course not. Uh, few trucks
1: as well. And cannon or two. Uh, some guns. Ah,
2: uh, that's not bad. And the, now look, you're, you're sure you haven't heard anything from Tiger.
1: Hey, I'm Jeff Horwich. This is In The Loop. The long-awaited Afghanistan strategy is out. A blockbuster moment for which we have all been kept on pins and needles. I don't need to tell you about it. You hear the news. Uh, you did your civic duty, right? And watched that really boring speech from West Point, Uh, and that was, I think you'll agree, a very boring speech. Uh, I was momentarily distracted by this interesting little slip of the tongue uh, where he was talking about Iraq. Today, after extraordinary costs, we are bringing the Iraq war to an irresponsible end. Um, Bringing it to a what? To an irresponsible end. Ah, well, as long as it's coming to some kind of an end, right? Uh, beyond the actual Afghanistan policy, which we're going to talk about uh, in a minute, I was struck by the fact that the grand NATO coalition on Afghanistan seems a lot less grand and, and a lot less coalition-y than it used to. Like Great Britain is sending 500 more troops. 500. Whoop-de-doo. That's as good as it gets. Um, here it's like the obligation to Afghanistan and the U.S., supersedes domestic politics, uh, at least to some extent. Clearly not so in the rest of the world. But don't worry, everybody, we will fix it for you. Got some fun listening for you today on the show. Uh, I have been fighting laryngitis all week, so uh, you will hear my voice over the next half hour or so in various stages of distress, Uh, but you can play a drinking game with it. Just take a a shot every time my voice cracks. Uh, So, no song this week, Uh, I'm sorry, or You're Welcome. know some people treasure the songs more than others. What we do have is a cool set of interviews and some stuff you've been hearing a lot about, some stuff you haven't. Sandin's coming by. I'm going to catch up with another of my Facebook friends. But first, here a little bit of time on Afghanistan, just a bit. When we've talked about Afghanistan in the past, uh, one of the more interesting interviews we've done was with the Center for a New American Security. And one of their big points is uh, reconfiguring the military to make it ready to do more nation building, changing the way that uh, soldiers approach their jobs and and the skills that they bring to it. Uh, We wondered what they uh, made of the president's new Afghanistan strategy. And I know you all have been hearing an awful lot about Afghanistan, uh, but we thought we'd get this uh, perspective in here before we move on with the show. Brian Burton is with me. He's a researcher at the Center for a New American Security. Brian, thanks for taking some time for In the Loop to talk to you. Now, I've seen a lot of emphasis on counterinsurgency here in the last uh, couple of days. And actually, you know, in in Congress yesterday, the administration testifying before the Senate and the House, kind of a downplaying of nation building, uh, typical, because that's kind of of a dirty word still for some people. Uh, But where do you think nation building fits into this Afghanistan surge?
3: Well, I think uh, the president, it's clear that he not really interested in committing to a very long and costly uh, nation-building strategy. Uh, The perception is that that would bog us down, it would increase our our deficits. I think there is a lot of broad understanding both within the military and uh, the administration's national security apparatus. There's a broad understanding of, of what needs to be done and how Building partner capacity and state building fit into that. Um, I do think that they are intentionally being downplayed because, as, as you noted, nation building is is a dirty word. It sounds like we're going to stand around there and uh, you know rebuild uh, Afghanistan when I think uh, a lot of Americans would rather see us rebuild Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there's no real way to comprehensively address this problem without engaging in um, some level of what I'd probably prefer to call state building, because you're not really constructing a nation. Uh, What we're trying to do is establish some competent institutions of an Afghan state Mm -hmm. that can eventually Spend for itself, at least at, at, at some moderate level.
1: How does the uh, the tentative date that's been set for a drawdown, it's been something people have been talking about an awful lot, uh, how does that fit into an effective state-building strategy?
3: Well, I'm sort of mixed on this point. On the one hand, in, in the pro column, um, it does drive home to our Afghan counterparts that our commitment there is limited, and if they want to ensure that they're going to remain in power when inevitably uh, the United States leaves, they need to clean up their act and cooperate. At least that's what it's intended to do. On the other hand, it can encourage hedging by the Afghans and also by the Pakistanis. If you're sending the message that uh, we're going to be on our way out in a fairly short amount of time, then that sort of takes away some of the incentive to uh, join up with the U.S. and the NATO coalition.
1: Are we deluding ourselves at all about whether Afghans as a whole even uh, really want a state, you know, much less a nation?
3: My understanding of Afghanistan is that uh, it, it has actually been a coherent state for much of the 20th century. Uh, up until the 1970s after the uh, communist coup and the Soviet invasion uh, sort of sparked the extended period of civil war that we're still dealing with right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It was not a strong central state as we would recognize it. Most of the power um, was vested in sort of traditional tribal leadership and leadership at, at the local level. And so I think that's, that's still going to be uh, the model. Afghanistan is not going to be uh, a strong, centralized state, it, it will always be something of a confederation of local provinces and tribes. The point is not to underplay the fact that Afghanistan as a state uh, has existed. I, I don't agree with the argument that, you know, there is no such thing as Afghanistan
1: mm-hmm. um,
3: and so on. you well, can look at the
1: Mujahideen, the, uh, even, even the Taliban, I guess. I mean, what did they set out to preserve, to unify uh, for better or for ill? afghanistan this this unit um so that is something to work with uh, which is an interesting point well brian thanks very much been good to talk with you
3: yeah great thanks for uh talking to me
1: that's brian burton he's a researcher at the center for a new american security now from afghanistan war strategy one's thoughts turn naturally to holiday shopping uh so let's go there next we had some fun with the tamped down black friday frenzy a couple shows back you'll recall Uh, now we're a week into the season nobody's been trampled to death. That's nice. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend results, shopping results anyway, were uh, okay, as I recall. Uh, people were mostly, it seemed like, going for the cheap stuff, though, which has retailers a little worried. Uh, in my business reporting days, there was a guy out in New York City that I call from from time to time. He's a consultant for the retail industry. His name is Howard Davidowitz, runs his own firm out there. And I remember him being kind of a fun character. Uh, so I thought we'd call him up and uh, maybe get a little bigger picture for the show today on the holiday shopping season.
2: Bitter-witz.
1: Hi, Howard. This is Jeff Horowitz out in Minnesota. Hi. How are you doing? Great. So we're beginning uh, year two of uh, recession-tinged holiday shopping, and so what's what's your take on it so far? How's this one looking?
2: If you compare the consumer this year to the consumer last year at the same time, we have millions more people unemployed, The consumer has trillions less credit. Consumer has never been further behind on their credit cards, student loans, auto loans, or mortgages in terms of being behind on their payments. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the whole thing, last year was the worst Christmas in 40 years, and this Christmas will be 1% to 2% worse than that.
1: So this is what you're telling your clients, I guess, brace for something uh, really dismal this time around.
2: Because those are the numbers. When we see Sears down, Macy's down, Willard's down. Target down, Best Buy down, <laughs> Home Depot down. When you go through the largest retail chains in the United States and nine out of ten of them are down on comp store sales every single month, I would say that's not great.
1: Are you sitting around your office just feeling this stressed out all day long?
2: No, I'm cool.
1: <laughs> Do you see any any retailers that have anything that looks like a winning strategy for this kind of climate?
2: I think if you're Aldi, you're having a party. Mm -hmm. I think if you're Dollar Tree, you're having a party. I think if you're in the extreme value segment, you're in very strong shape, having closed 2,000 jewelry stores, seeing luxury like Saks and Neiman's losing hundreds of millions of dollars, and seeing stores like Dollar Tree make a fortune. Mm -hmm. What you've got is the biggest trade-down effect in the history of the country. I mean, you're seeing Starbucks close 900 stores and Mac Cafe, being a tremendous success in McDonald's because they sell cheap coffee. So if you're Target, what are you you supposed to do? I think Target has reacted very intelligently. Mm -hmm. Target has dramatically increased their intensification of food, number two. Target has changed their whole marketing, and now they're more price-sensitive. In other words, the signing, the advertising, where they're putting the inventory dollars. Target is listening to the consumer.
1: Is there anybody who's uh, just running in the wrong direction?
2: I think if you're in the department store business, you have a huge problem. Dillard's, Macy's, Penny's, Sears, they're not a discounter. They have high overhead. There's a limit to the value they can give the consumer. Yeah, you know, all those people are just in the wrong. But if you're in the jewelry business, you—they're just in the wrong place.
1: Well, and they're just screwed. There's nothing they can yeah, do.
2: Yeah, well, of course, there's things they can do, and those management's are doing what they can do. I mean, they're closing bad stores, they're slashing expenses, they're slashing inventory, putting it more in line with sales. They're doing lots of things.
1: Now, you're a retail analyst uh, and consultant, and shopping is your is your world. You. you you think we've done too much shopping? Well, don't you want us to go out and and do some uh, no? I want Americans
2: to save. For ten years, Americans spent six percent more than they made. That was a huge problem. We're now saving as a country at the rate of four percent. I think that's prudent and smart, even though it comes out of the retailer's pocket. We're in a trade down world. Living standards in this country will never be the same. We've gone totally insane with debt and spending. If we become Zimbabwe, which we're on our way to becoming, I don't think that's too good for retail. And by the way, we've got 21 square feet of retail for every man, woman, and child in this country, and it's up probably 40% more than we need.
1: Uh, it's very interesting to talk with you after, after a few years, you know, now that the, the economy has taken a turn. It sounds like your 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 philosophy, your kind of approach to the world, is it, it's different than I last recall, and how could it not be after all this, Right.
2: I don't know how you cannot respond to what's going on. Mm-hmm. The government has gone mad, in my view.
1: Hmm. Well, uh, how so?
2: Let me give you some numbers. Sure. President Obama said that we're going to have a seven trillion dollar deficit. It's now over nine trillion. He was only wrong by two thousand billion. <laughs> President Obama said that if we didn't put in his mighty stimulus plan, we might have 8% unemployment, we're at 10.2, and we have 17.5% underemployment and unemployment. I thought Bush was nuts, and I think this guy is 10 times nuttier.
1: Give me some predictions for the fallout in, uh, in the spring. You know, who, I think who's we're going to have
2: massive numbers of retail bankruptcies. Next year we'll close hundreds of thousands of stores. The consumer's going to cut back. That changes all the rules.
1: Well, uh... Ho, 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 right? Yes, sir. All right, Howard, good to talk with you. Thank you very much for your time.
2: Same. Bye. Take care.
1: Howard Davidowitz there, uh, runs Davidowitz and Associates in New York City. And uh, I was telling Sandin, who's here with me now, um, that we should call this guy because I remembered calling him when I was a business reporter and uh, he was always interesting. That was much more intense than even I remembered (laughs) that guy being.
4: Wow. Uh, I, I could just imagine what it's like in his office with all the screaming and shouting and everyone else trying to get their work done. I'm just thinking of him like making these media calls, and he's like, typeity, type, 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 and then picks up the phone, and
1: he's like, we're all going to die! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, enough about that. Everybody go out and shop and enjoy the holiday season, right? Uh, or don't. Enjoy it either way. So, um, Shannon and I, like everybody else, we were talking about this couple that sneaked into or did not, they didn't really sneak into, um, slipped into somehow the White House dinner and all that. And we're not really going to talk about that today, are we, Sandin?
4: Um We're not? Indirectly. Indirectly.
1: Because it made us think more about the fact that she was maybe trying to get on a reality show.
4: Yeah, I heard that they were uh, vying for a spot on the Real Housewives of D.C. Yeah,
1: she was being tailed by cameras as she was getting her hair done and all that, so
4: they had a certain pressure to get into this.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, um, of course, we've witnessed other reality show stunts in recent months
4: most prominent of which is (laughs) yes exactly when it's become something of a personal career move right right Right? it's like it's one of the best ways to launch your career these days i mean you know if you want a sort of mediocre career (laughs) appearing on other reality tv (laughs) shows and a
1: college degree
4: yeah so i mean a lot of people have been really honing this the skill of getting on reality tv because you know Outside of being famous already or having an agent, it's, it's probably the easiest way to get noticed. So, you know, some people try to cultivate these really edgy personalities. Some people try to pull stunts like we've been seeing. Or um, some people just simply try to wow the reality TV producers with their singing.
5: Oh we yo, way, oh we let me on the show right now, cause I would do quite really good. So let me on, let me on, let me let me on the show, Jeff Probst, Mark Burnett, and CBA oh-wee, oh-wee, What the hell oh-wee, is that?
4: Yeah, okay, so yeah. obviously he's not trying to get on American Idol, but uh that that actually is Ian McKenzie and he's Canadian and he had a dream of uh landing a spot on Survivor. There's a weird rule where Survivor won't take Canadians. They only hmm. take American citizens. So he set out to launch a campaign to uh, secure a spot. He, he started a website, letmeonsurvivor.com. He launched a petition, got 10,000 signatures, even got ex winners of Survivor to endorse him. And um, Dang. nothing happened. None of this was getting him the golden ticket to, you know, don a loincloth or whatever and be on TV. Stunts. Right. So that's what he thought. Hmm. Now it's time to do some stunts. Uh, he says he thought about trying something akin to the Balloon Boy or Gatecrasher scheme, um, but well, didn't quite work out.
2: There was a speaking annex going in Vancouver, and one of the speakers was Mark Burnett, who he created at least the American version of Survivor. Yeah, and uh, he was speaking at the conference, so I thought, huh, what if I just showed up? And I mean, the tickets I think were a thousand or two thousand. They were pretty crazy. I mean, outside my. Uh, amount I could afford, so there's no way I could even buy a ticket, but I thought maybe if I, you know, posed as a caterer or something and uh, (laughs) brought out some kind of giant sign in the middle of his park and ran down the aisles and, you know, got his attention that way, I thought maybe he would, uh, you know, consider me on the show, but more likely the security guards would have taken me down, and that would have been the end of that, so I eventually decided against it.
4: Yeah, Survivor Prison doesn't sound exactly like (laughs) the show you'd want to be on.
2: That sounds like a different type of show. Yeah,
0: (laughs) not as fun.
1: So we've got a number of stories of stunt failures racking up here. Is it possible to, like, will yourself, gimmick yourself onto reality TV?
4: Well, yeah, I was wondering the same thing. You know, can you just make it happen? Uh, And I found a guy who says, yeah, you can. There is, yeah.
6: There's a way to will your way in, and people have done it through the orthodox channels and some in the unorthodox
4: way. So that's Robert Gilenski, and he would know. He started something called the New York Reality TV School.
1: No, yes, I'm depressed by that. But <laughs> go on.
4: Well, it's a school basically that'll help people, uh, you know, reach that dream of, uh, you know, getting on reality TV. They teach you all the skills you'll need uh, to sort of sell yourself and to to make you the case why you should be on TV. Huh. And so far, they've got a pretty good success rate. It's uh, you know, people have gotten some minor parts on reality TV shows. Uh,
1: did you get a minor part on reality TV. I mean, aren't you either sort of a, a contestant, you're on it, or you're you're not?
4: Well, there's different levels. I mean, you know, none of them have made it onto uh, any of the big shows yet. They were kind of on, you know, Channel 57 reality shows.
1: Kind of backwater. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There are tons of reality shows. You flip around and you're like, what the heck is this?
4: They're but, still waiting to you know, get their big... Uh, Amish in the city. Almaroso or, you know, John Gosling character to come from their school. But, mm-hmm. you know, Robert says it'll happen. You know, basically what he does is he teaches these uh, students how to tell their story in a compelling way how to talk yourself up to the casting crew, how to identify your strengths. And then they do exercises, too, where you're like, you'll are like, you get insulted by everyone in the class just to sort of build up your uh, emotional fortitude. And uh, sometimes they even take it to the streets.
6: One quick example is uh, you'll go out there with a backpack, and inside that backpack will be a pound of Swiss cheese. And the goal is to uh, walk up to complete strangers and get them to open their backpack and share with you what's in their backpack, and you share with them. So... There's a lot of levels to that challenge to go out there and, you know, make an introduction to a complete stranger. How can you put yourself and them at ease once you've got them engaged? Can you get them to open up something literally about themselves to be a little personal and disclose? Right. You know.
4: And then to get them to eat cheese from a stranger's backpack is going to be.
6: That's when you're, you know, that's the gold standard right there.
4: If you can charm a stranger to eat cheese out of your backpack, you're probably going to be able to charm a camera as well. Right.
1: Well, that'd be great for a new uh, reality show that I've been thinking about uh, called Eat My Cheese. <laughs> what about the stunts, though?
4: Well, yeah, Robert uh, had a lot to say about that. And, and basically he says, you know, it's a good way to capture the attention, not a good strategy if you want to get a TV show.
6: The one thing at the New York Reality TV is we do not talk about faking anything. So all the things that have been happening with Balloon Boy and the Gate Crashers, we don't condone any of that stuff. We like Stepping outside the box. We do believe in being unorthodox in that particular ways, but when it comes to not telling the truth, it doesn't work because what happens is producers can smell that, audiences can smell that, and they'll know who's going to fulfill the goal and have a wonderful story to tell on the show and, and great, honest interactions and who's not.
1: All right, some free advice for everybody out there uh, and a free website plug for that guy. So <laughs> slip that in there. Uh, one tried and true strategy uh, have a lot of babies.
4: Yeah, if you, like, what is it, the Octomom might be getting her own show. So. That's what I'd heard. It's, she's setting the bar high, though, and it's going to be eight or up if you're going to want to get your own show.
1: Mm. So if you, uh, Sandin, uh were to be on a reality show, what, what one would you want to be on?
4: Any one of those Japanese reality TV shows where they're, like, having me, like, you know, do handstands in Jello. Mm-hmm. Or, like, jump off some giant tower into, like, a thing of foam balls.
1: Well, well there was one of those on, on ABC, right? It was, I survived a Japanese game show.
4: I'm on it. I'd yeah, totally I actually
1: recorded that for a while and watched it. Um, yeah, for me, I don't know. I've always thought, it, very intimidating, but uh, The Apprentice would be just intense. I can see it. Very cool. But, but maybe not the regular Apprentice, but, like, the celebrity Apprentice. So I'm really <laughs> having to just compete against, like, Clint Black and... Melissa Rivers. That's
4: considering that you're a celebrity, I guess. (laughs) You're taking a big leap there, Jeff. (laughs) The the
1: lowest level of
4: celebrity. No, I don't think that
1: would ever happen, but a guy can dream. All right, Santa, thanks very much for um, scoping that out for us. No problem, Jeff. We're going to try to have the Salahis on the show next week.
4: (laughs) Get working on a song.
1: Manju Nanaratnam is back with me here on uh, In The Loop. He's a musician, composer, living uh, in the Twin Cities, but he's ethnic Tamil, and he he grew up in Sri Lanka. Manju, welcome back. Thank you. And here's a quick recap for people. So last spring, uh, the war in Sri Lanka, which was going on for decades, right, finally ended, and it's still done, more or less, right? Yes. Okay, uh, so that's when you came in to talk to us. Uh, the government finally put down the Tamil Tiger Rebellion, uh, gained control of the whole island. You're your ethnic Tamil, and so you came in with what I remember was kind of a cautious sense of of hope that Sri Lanka would finally kind of patch things up and, and be able to move forward. From Correct. This. Uh, so the other day you sent Sandin an email saying uh, it is beginning something I was concerned about, <laughs> which is kind of an <laughs> ominous way to get our attention uh, with a link to a story. It seemed like a good prompt to uh, I'm to glad get you, back you guys here.
7: Are concerned
1: <laughs> for an update. Tell me what's going on. We've got this this general Fonseca. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. More or less. Yes. Uh, and that's who this article was about, the us. So he led the Sri Lanka army in finally defeating. The yes, tigers yes. and now he is running for president, so what's what's the worry here? what's the concern?
7: Well, you know, I was a little cautious about military coups. I mean, it was ready for a military coup because the military was all powerful. The war may have ended, but the underlying problems may not be uh-huh. fixed and Given the fact that our politicians necessarily haven't found a solution, we were set up by the military now you know brimming with confidence that they defeated the tigers. That they can go and rule the country also. So, this was a situation that you thought at the
1: time was sort of primed for a military coup. Is this a military coup that we're looking at with General Fonseca? uh,
7: Supposedly, sometime in October or November, the president of Sri Lanka told India to have its military ready because he's fearing a coup. Hmm. Soon after the war ended, uh, he had immediately promoted the general to director of all. You know, military. And after he took the post, he found out that it was purely ceremonial; that he had really no power. So he resigned, and he was quite bitter about it. The letter says, "You know, I'm, I thought I would have commanding powers, but nothing." Mm-hmm. And he thought now that uh, he's the candidate, and he's a hero of, of the Sri Lankan people; that he, he he should be, you know, running against the president who he worked for and under. Hmm. Well, how popular is he? He's supposedly the most viable candidate to battle uh, the current president because they say there's no one else, simply because they are affiliated with winning the war. Both of them are. Mm -hmm. So now they're only against each other. So any candidate who comes out from the outside really have nothing to stand on historically because they didn't participate in defeating the, the rebels. Sure.
1: He seems to be saying a lot of the right things, the general, that is, I would think, you know, about about restoring democracy, giving more power to the parliament that the current yes. president has taken too much, right. the what he thinks may be abuses in the refugee camps. Sure. So sure. he certainly got the message right.
7: He's, what he's talking about is just rhetoric. So he can blame someone else and divest himself from the party that actually caused the issue. Well,
1: right, because in, in other circumstances, he's the guy accountable for right. those camps and for right. what, some abuses, perhaps, maybe serious oh, abuses yeah. near yeah. the end of the war. Yeah.
7: He was, uh, the, the general was visiting the United States. Homeland Security immediately sent him a letter where he was staying and also called him and asking him to, that they would like to interview him over human rights violations that happened in Sri Lanka in the last few weeks of the war. Rumor has it that the rebel leadership actually surrendered, but all of them were wiped out. So interestingly, as soon as that happened, Sri Lanka called him back immediately. So he didn't have to face the interview or the by Homeland Security. Hmm. There, I think there was one glitch while he was still the general and before the war ended. He had actually come out and claimed publicly that uh, Sri Lanka is for the Sinhalese. Hmm. So he's known as an ultra-nationalist.
1: Outside of politics, do you um, get a vibe from... Uh from back in Sri Lanka that uh, Tamils and Sinhalese are friendly? Are they viewing it as a single
7: country? The the odd thing is I don't think a lot of people ever thought of it as a country that didn't belong to either group. I mean, I find it embarrassing trying to explain to my friends. So how long have you guys lived together? Uh, 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. And so it gets a little... And you know, what's the difference? and Why do you hate, right. hate each other so much? Right. Yeah, it gets yeah. a little misty after all this Yeah, time. yeah and uh i mean and there's all this rhetoric about well the tamils go back to india i mean i'm like well if the tamils go back to india that means so many countries like the americans all of them from the europe have to go back to europe because they only got here 400 500 years ago mm-hmm. we got there 2000 years ago and if we have to go back to india you know well fair's fair, is fair. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be a long haul but they are they all trying but you know politics is politics and i feel that we have a better chance with the current president than with the general simply because the current president is, is a politician, then generally is a military man.
1: And when is the election again?
7: On uh, January 26th. Very soon.
1: Well, Manju, I'm very glad you've been able to come back in and, and bring you. us uh, up to speed here a bit. And we'll continue to talk with you as things Thanks. You develop
7: there. It's good to be back. Thanks, guys.
1: Manju Nanaratnam. Of course, we were talking politics and international affairs here. But if you want to learn more about him and about his music, you can check him out at manjunan.com, M-A-N-J-U-N-A-N.com. Now, I promised uh, no new music on the show today, and I'm going to stick with that, of course, but fortunately for this uh, last segment of the episode, uh, I do have a nice little stinger already in the can. My Facebook friends. Love that plate verb on there, huh? Now, I haven't done one of these in a few months, where I set out to get to know better uh, somebody who I really just know through Facebook, somebody who's friended me on Facebook, but who I haven't really met in person, and also to uh, let... You all in the in the Loop community just, just get to know a little better. Uh, another one of your own. So I'm cheating a little bit today because uh, Jessica Suntime, I actually have met in person one time. She came down to the cities to see uh, The Smarts and Me play one night, which was uh, very cool of her, and it was very nice to meet her. And I thought, you know what? Um, why don't I get to know her a little bit better with uh, one of our Facebook friend, uh, Loop listener interview things. So this is very laid back, informal. She's going to give her a call, and uh, we'll talk about whatever, and uh, then we'll close out the show.
0: Hello, Sondheims. Hey, it's Jeff. Hey, how's it going?
1: Good. How are you doing today?
0: I'm pretty good.
1: Yeah, well, thanks very much for taking some time to talk with me. Sure. First of all, I should just say that, you know, you, over the past uh, bunch of months, you've contributed so much on our Facebook page, and you give us so many ideas and stuff that, uh, I'm sorry, it's taken so long. I should have talked to you on the show long ago, but I'm glad I finally have a chance to
0: do it. (gasps) Well, thanks. It's fun.
1: Thank you for being our super fan. In like like the best possible and totally like not at all creepy kind of a way. I
0: love it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't want to go creepy. If I ever get that way, like, send me a post or something. Well,
1: you're doing well so far. Uh, I thought I'd ask you about this. You know, I've been seeing this, I don't know if you've seen it on the Internet, this sort of stupid moving ad. It's like a woman walking and repeats over and over, and it says... Um, Obama's telling moms to go back to school. Get your money now. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that, but, but I, sure. I, I kind of look at that and I go, whatever. It's like one of those mortgage ads. You just ignore it. But I gather that you are sort of the living example right now, maybe, that that ad is, is not total garbage.
0: Yeah, actually it's funny because I kept seeing those things on Facebook, but it's always a really cute picture of a baby.
1: On Facebook too, Obama yeah. Obama
0: asks moms to go back to school mm-hmm. and I kind of just sort of thought it was a scam. You know, a lot of those ads connect you with a site that will try to hook you up with an online school, so they are kind of, you know, mm-hmm. commercials. But I was listening to the news on NPR and they mentioned that there had been increased funding and so um I had tried to go back to school a few years ago and it was hard at that time to even get a student loan, actually. Mm-hmm. So I checked into it, and um, I was able to get a Pell Grant and a child care grant. So yeah, I went back to school.
1: Are you going back for, for your undergraduate, or what are you studying?
0: Yes, I actually don't have a degree huh. yet. I'm a freshman, again, hmm. and I'm... And you're...
1: How old are you, if I, I may ask? I'm
0: 31. It.
1: Okay, and you have, uh, you have four kids.
0: I right. do, yeah. Okay,
1: so yep. um good for you. What what classes are you taking now that you're, you know, the the
0: 30-year-old freshman? Um I took uh the American History 20th Century, which is fascinating because I grew up in the deep south and so I had the uh Revolutionary War and the Civil War. The entire time through, mm-hmm. through school. I never got to the 20th century. Didn't know about Hitler. You know, well, I mean, wow. I knew about him, but... Um, they sort of get then, bogged down
1: in the in the Civil War teaching uh, if you grew up in yes. Georgia, where you did, yeah. I think, right? Yeah,
0: Well, actually, Virginia, Tennessee. Virginia. I was born okay. in Georgia, but didn't spend much time there. Huh? And um, American Art History, mm-hmm. which is my favorite, probably. And then I'm also taking um, Ethics.
1: Ethics? Which, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just ethics in general or what specifically what
0: intro to ethics so it's hmm. it's like the baby step one mm-hmm. and it is really hard
1: do you um, find uh, the current the current news uh, headlines and stuff because I know you listen to NPR all the time and, and you listen to us and stuff do you find that uh, creeping into your classes a lot
0: oh definitely most definitely uh you know with the healthcare reform um, it's been interesting to find out that that was something that Truman wanted to do in the 50s. And, um, you know, it was demonized during that time because it was seen as communist and socialist. And the AMA actually had a large campaign at that time to paint it that way. And and that's why America is the only huge country without national health care.
1: Well, let me ask you a health care related question since we're talking about the news and you. You broke a rib the other day.
0: What, yeah. I, what I know
1: about you, I know kind of from, from watching Facebook, I guess, lately. But uh, how's how's that doing?
0: Um, I think I got to sleep about 2 a.m. last
2: night.
0: Oh, man. My kids have a paper out. Okay. And there's these zip ties that hold the bundles of papers together. They're about a foot in diameter. So one was on the ground right in front of the door. And uh, somehow both of my feet... Ended up in it without me knowing, and while I was putting my hat and mittens on, I, I somehow it got wrapped around both of my feet, and I opened the front door and took Ooh. a big step, and it just dug into my left heel, and then I went flying. Oh, Did man. Beautiful belly flop on the cement.
1: Mm. Do you have good insurance? Do you feel like there's personally much for you riding on uh, like the reform effort going on in D.C.?
0: Uh, we do have pretty decent insurance. Um, decent meaning we have it, and mm-hmm. my husband's employer pays for part of it, but we have a $5,000 deductible. And with four kids, despite right. all of the safety nets that you can put into the place, they get hurt, they get sick, you know how that goes. I believe so. it. Yep. But personally, you know, with the health care issue, it is kind of a huge issue for me in my life. Uh, I have a lot of close family and friends and people that I just really love in my life that suffer from mental illness and addiction has also been another thing. And I just sort of see all of the repercussions that has in their life because they aren't able to afford treatment. Mm-hmm. This health care reform is is huge. There's so much human capital out there in our country and, and it, it'd be wonderful if you know, people could afford to get the treatment that they need. Well, I'll
1: change the subject here. Um, okay. <laughs> let's see. I've met you one time, and uh, one of the things that I remember thinking was really interesting about you, and I just, just asking, making small talk, was you actually live? You and your husband uh, live in a place that you just just picked, and I don't. It's it's. I don't know of anybody that that does this. That just sort of says, let's find a town we like and just move there. Yeah. And then we'll we'll find jobs and, and whatnot. I mean you don't really have family where you are. You didn't move there because one of your employers made you move there or you didn't move there for a job. You just picked a town you liked and you moved there.
0: Yeah. We've learned our lesson. We the town before that we moved there for an employer and then uh the funding was cut. We just love it. It's we've got the river and lakes and excellent schools, parks everywhere, bike trails, a center for the arts, which is my favorite place in town. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty community college, pretty community college. It's what? right off the interstate, so all my friends from the cities can get here quickly, and I can get down there quickly. Mm-hmm. So this is the longest time I've ever lived in a place, and um, and I, we are staying here. I'm not going anywhere else. I told my husband mm-hmm. when we moved in, this was it. We named the house, so we're really super attached. What'd you name the house? Turtleback.
1: Sh- what? Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's short for sunshine on a turtle's back.
1: So,
5: oh.
0: kind of German.
1: Well, good luck with uh, the school. I'm Thank very you. excited for you that you've that you've gone back. It's kind of a tough leap to take for some people in this uh, economy and all that, but it um, sounds exciting. Sure.
2: Well,
0: it was really fun, and it was fun meeting you, and I just enjoy the show so much. It broadens my community, and I just sort of think of you as the international, this American life, you know? Hmm.
1: Well, we'll take that. Glad we're here for you. And um, I'll leave you to the rest of your day. Great to talk with you.
0: Sounds good. Have a good day. All right,
1: Jessica. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That's Jessica Sondheim. She lives in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. And uh, good sport for letting me call her up with no particular plan or agenda. And uh, great fan of the show. Thanks, Jessica. Now, I promise no new original music today uh, because of the state of my voice here, uh, which I presume will be back next week, as it usually is. Uh, But I am going to share some music with you just a little bit before we we end the show. Uh, Because I ran across this the other day, and it just struck me as perhaps... One of the greatest miscarriages of music that, that I have ever encountered. So bad that I just had to share it with you all. Um, Rhapsody, which I use for a lot of my music listening, well, it recommends stuff for me based on uh, what it thinks I might like. And it recommended this Ray Charles album, not surprisingly. Uh, and so I, I put it on to give it a listen. And uh, it turns out it was from 1986. I knew there was something wrong as soon as the first song started playing. Uh, it's from 1986. And it's called The Pages of My Mind. The whole album is atrocious, but the nadir of it all is uh, a song called Class Reunion. And I can't say really anything about it that the song can't clearly say to you um, all on its own. I mean, it's terrible music to begin with, but, but on top of it all, this is, this is Ray Charles. And it's just so incongruous uh, and so wrong that it is uh, funny.
5: I was having a cup of coffee, listening to the morning news, and outside I heard the mailman drive up, like he does every morning. I went outside to meet him, and he handed me mostly bills, like he does every morning. But then, the mascot caught my eye, from good old Central High, your graduating class, We'll get together in July For a class reunion Has it been that long? Can't wait to see yeah,
1: he wonders how the old gang is doing now. Uh, Ray Charles is the son of a sharecropper, and he's blind. This is this is a gem, is
2: what this is.
1: The song goes on to talk about uh, the girl he never talked to, who he had a crush on in high school, and, and how she shows up to the class reunion and they dance together. And um, Anyway, it's, it's a terrible piece of music, confirming maybe a common theory that uh, the 80's did horrible things to all kinds of music. Uh, Ray Charles was no exception. Some good things about 80s music as well, but this, this is not one of them. In the loops produced by Sandon Totten and me. We get help from Anna Wagle and we get lots of help from all of you, folks like Jessica Suntime who contribute ideas and uh, respond to the questions that we had during the week and uh, chat with us for the show. So please stay in touch. Find us on Facebook, loopfacebook.net and if you're not uh, on our email list, click join the network at our website, intheloopshow.net hope everybody's having a very nice December and uh, steaming as pleasantly as possible toward the holidays. I will talk to you next week. I'm Jeff Horwich.
5: In the middle of July, my memories and I hit the whole town.